1: Hello and welcome to the Sky U podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away, you fur. With me this week is Blake, Iowa Gopher. Happy to be back from Champaign,
2: alive and kind of well.
1: And U Street. Hey, Alp. In case you're wondering where uh, Gopher Guy 05 is, he committed seppuku down in Champaign. He wishes you all well. And uh, should he rise from the ashes, that is the current state of the season, he will rejoin the pod, uh, in a future episode. So yeah, three of us went down to Illinois. Two of us came back to join this pod street watched from afar. Um, my takeaways are as follows. Illinois is a hell of a lot better than they've been in a long time. And Minnesota is doing things wrong that they were not doing earlier in the year in a way that baffles me in ways that go beyond, you know, better competition. Can someone enlighten me as to what the hell is going on?
0: I can take a crack at what's going on. As I mentioned at, in about sort of week four, one problem that the University of Minnesota football team had from an observer standpoint is we actually didn't know how good they were because Michigan State was really bad. And... One of the key things that we never learned in the non-conference was how good this passing offense was going to be, because it's, in fact, really easy to pass the ball when Mo is averaging nine yards a carry. And the offense works very well. That's sort of the peak of how good this offense is going to be. What has happened over the last couple of weeks, when Mo was out, Purdue dominated the offensive line. I think Quinn Carroll in particular has been getting a lot of flack, but I don't think it's just Quinn Carroll. I just think it's been relatively easier to pick on him. I think the right side of the line in general has not done a very good job. The line is not doing what it needs to do. Because the line is not doing what it needs to do, when paired with not arguably the best running back to come through, at least at a college level at Minnesota in the last 15 years – the running backs behind at a substantially more replacement level aren't able to get any hole. They're getting a hit very quickly if they're not able to break through yardage. So there goes the run game. The second problem is the wide receivers, since especially, unfortunately, the loss of the season, Chris Altman-Bell out for the season, the wide receivers are unable to do anything. They're not getting separation. Depending on the wide receiver, they might not be trying very hard to get separation either, which is a separate point. When they're in 50-50 situations, they're regularly getting beat and outmuscled for balls. That's a problem. So when Tanner Morgan is trying to throw a pass, he's often going to throw it at best to a partially covered wide receiver, or at worst, the interceptions that you saw on Saturday, and/or having to tuck it and run for a couple of yards, and. Uh, deeply, unfortunately, in the Illinois game, apparently it's fine to punch someone in the head if you do it on accident. So that, that's the second problem. So structurally, at the line, we have a problem that prevents the running game from doing anything. When Minnesota becomes unidimensional as a passing game, they don't have an actual playmaking wide receiver who can consistently get open and or consistently do incredible things if partially covered. Finally, Tanner Morgan not blameless here because Tanner Morgan has also not been over the last couple of weeks pre what was almost certainly a concussion and that's going to be a challenge going forward but pre pre that also had some challenge in how it is that he is going to be able to direct this offense and you basically need Tanner Morgan to be perfect if every single... Opening he has to throw a pass is an incredibly tight window. And Tyler Morgan is many things, but I would not say that he is an NFL talent quarterback, which is what he's currently being asked to be in this offense because he's getting no help from any of his wide receivers and frequently his line.
1: Blake, uh, that's uh, where do you stand? Do you do you echo most of those sentiments? Do you see other problems that are in your mind uh, the biggest issues for the gophers right now i mean that was
2: a pretty um i don't know what the word is exhaustive uh, uh, surgical yeah, That was, was, a, was a surgical uh review of all the issues they have on the outside side of the ball i don't really have much to add i mean he kind of nailed in the head especially with the offensive line i mean if you're if you don't have a good offensive line like that's going to limit what you can do on offense in the run game and the passing game i mean it all starts up there for me and i mean this is a team that we thought the offensive line was looked Fairly good those first four games, but again, you know, level of competition, suspects. I mean, we thought Michigan State had a good defensive front, and maybe they do, but the rest of the team's got some issues. Good enough to beat Wisconsin, though, so I'll give them credit for that. But, um, yeah, offensively, it's um, just really tough sledding right now, and um, I had to look it up. Uh, if Tanner is not able to go um, this Saturday, this will be the first – game where he has not started for Minnesota since, I think, um, October 20th, 2018. So that would end his streak of, I don't know how many games, consecutive starts for Minnesota quarterback, which is just kind of unthinkable that, that we would have thought next year would be our first year of that Tanner, but... Um, could very well be this Saturday. So, um, yeah, I can't, can't say there's a ton of optimism on that side of the ball, um, coming out of the Illinois game, unless Kirk Schrocker can can work some miracles and somehow get his wide receivers to be, you know, more aggressive going up for the ball, high pointing the ball, you know, winning contested catches, running better routes, get their offensive line to, you know, block more consistently, um, and pass protection. I just, yeah, there's a lot going on there and I don't have a ton of, uh, Fixes in the short term.
0: It's also, to be frank, assuming that Tanner Morgan had a concussion or concussion like symptoms last Saturday, which, given the optics of how Tanner Morgan went down, seems quite likely to me. Tanner Morgan should not be playing this week. Even if he thinks, oh, I'm 80% or whatever. Tanner Morgan should not be playing this week because Tanner Morgan got punched in the head clattered down on the ground and was down for an extended period of time and never returned. It is implausible to me that Tanner Morgan is actually 100%. And that has nothing to do with Tanner Morgan as a competitive person. It's rather from a coaching staff perspective, I think you need to protect your player and give him a week off at minimum.
2: And I was – he, like, hit that, that – the medical tent was right in front of where we were sitting at the Illinois game. Um, I've never seen him like that. He was just, like, he just walking gingerly. It was hard to tell what was wrong with him because he was just walking so slowly and so gingerly. I didn't know if, like, he was trying to protect something that he had injured. Like, I thought, when Fleck mentioned upper body injury later, I thought maybe collarbone. But, I mean, in all purposes, probably a concussion. But um, he just – he looked kind of out of it. Not, like, stumbling or wobbly, but just walking very slowly and very – Um, deliberately. It was kind of a strange sight to see with him. So, I mean, yeah, in all all realistic, uh, he probably shouldn't be playing this Saturday. Again, we don't know the the specifics of his injury because Fleck loves to be vague about injury updates. But, um, yeah, I personally would be very surprised if we see him on Saturday.
0: Also, I will highlight again, this is not a complaint about the refs in general. Minnesota lost through no fault of the refs. Uh, though the first interception for Tanner Morgan likely is offsides or real close. But that's not why they lost the game. However, the fact that there is no mechanism whatsoever in college football right now to review someone punching somebody in the head is ludicrous. And I don't mean to say that the Illinois player intended to haul off and whack Morgan in the temple. I genuinely don't think it was attempted to malicious. I think the... Illinois player, the defensive player, is trying to basically punch the ball out, which if a quarterback's running, yeah, that person does not have lots of reps just trying to hold on to the ball. I, too, would think it's a reasonable thing to try and punch the ball out. But the rules of football rarely require intent to deliver a penalty. And it's hard for me if we're actually going to say that we're going to care supposedly about quote-unquote player safety that intentional or not, if you punch somebody in the head, nothing happens to you. Because ideally, what you want to do is deter people from thinking it might be a good idea to risk potentially punching somebody in the head. Also from a defensive player, helmets hurt. So there's an added reason to maybe have someone think twice about whether or not they should throw their hand up next somebody's temple. That's a failure of officiating. And if the officials were correct, then it's an absolute failure of the rulebook. And I would say exactly the same thing, just to be clear, if the jersey colors were swapped.
1: I'll be honest, I I had stepped out during that section of the game and I saw the punch on the um, TVs in the uh, concourse. And I, you know, stepped away to go to the restroom. And when I came out, the game still hadn't started. I assumed what they were reviewing was targeting, and I was like, "Oh, okay, makes sense. Punch dude in the head. Somehow that's targeting. Makes sense to me." No, no, no. They were reviewing whether or not he got a first down. I was like, "What? That? Not Chris? Doesn't doesn't
2: make sense to me?" But I'm glad you mentioned you're um, stepping out to the bathroom because I understand you had some. Um... Potential oh.
1: potential fisticuffs of your own uh, in oh. advance. All right. Illinois Illinois fans, you are definitely listening to this podcast, so I'm sure I'm reaching my intended audience here. Uh, learn to enjoy your team winning. Some asshat, like I brush by him into the restroom, and he wants to make World War III out of it. I, In my defense, I probably shouldn't have shushed him and waved him away with my hand that probably enraged him further. But the fact that he was bothered at all, that in a crowded restroom, somebody might like brush into you. Illinois fans, get your act together. You have a very good team. You're going to win the big 10 West. That's my prediction. We'll be talking about more of those in, the, in a moment. There's no reason to fight in the frickin' bathroom.
0: What's the card. So for reference to our, our viewers, as, as has been mentioned previously, Chris is a water demon. Part of the reason why this is the case is that he's a thousand feet tall. Which means that if he moves incorrectly, his head will actually create clouds. So I'm curious in this particular, if if we actually threw down, what is what was the what was the card like?
1: Uh, I mean, he was maybe six, four. Uh, he looked wiry. I don't think he uh, had my reach. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I, I have more, more, uh, girth, uh, and, weight to throw behind my punches than his wiry self, but, uh, you know, ultimately it shouldn't come down to that. It's a bathroom. We're not here for fisticuffs. Yeah. I suppose.
0: think as a general view, fighting in a men's restroom or any restroom is a suboptimal choice always, but In particular, as a, as a, for our listeners, as me personally, as a not tall human, it's never occurred to me, you know, you know, who I should, who I should like really get aggressive with the person who is like six inches and potentially 30 or 40 pounds bigger than me. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah, I don't generally get challenged to fight people. Like, I'm a goofball. You'd probably, most people would probably win if they got me to fight them. Uh, but nobody goes there because I'm a giant, and people don't generally, you know, see giants and think, "Hmm, let's fight giants."
0: Water demon privilege, right here. Hey, whoa,
1: whoa! I want to point out. I went to this game. It was beautiful the entire weekend.
0: Was it beautiful? Water... Was it beautiful? Because I, I recall the beautiful. team that, that we support losing in catastrophically ugly fashion. I would. Yeah, much but you got to be able to.
1: You have to be able to find beauty even in those moments. Otherwise, you're just going to drive yourself insane. We're fans of Minnesota sports. If you can't find beauty in the midst of disaster, our lives are going to be very, very short and brutal.
0: Are you the person who writes philosophy quotes in the bathroom? Is that you? Are you graffitiing that?
1: No, I'm the one who, like, uh, by the end of the game, I'm like thinking, is there anything else around the stadium I feel like photographing?
0: Blake, did you try creating and fight art makes thing? me
1: happy? I didn't try to fight an Illinois fan. They were
2: they were very um also chatty after the game. One they they were either chanting I L L I N I or um yeah, just trying to strike up um, I would charitably say they're trying to strike up conversation with me after the game. Um, yeah, they were a very cocky bunch. And I would say the they kind of take after their team. This Illinois defense was like they had swagger, like they were call them cocky call them confident um that, that's that was kind of the the energy i noticed from their team and yeah, it definitely translated to the fan base too. um one year they one, were good they, they were good they were good they backed it up and like I, I was like you know be confident talk your shit you can back it up um yeah their fan base definitely uh, is t- taking their cues from that i would i would say uh you know they're good at f- football for the first time and i don't know how long and um they're making the most of it i guess
0: did you enjoy the general trip to Champaign? Because I, to be fair, I, as, as mentioned, was not there. I actually don't think it is that much of a problem if there's some road fan and your team wins that you you know, talk some stuff at them, though it probably would be good for everyone if we maybe were more charitable and whatnot. But in terms of just as a road trip, so Chris and Blake, you've now been on a variety of road trips in the Big Ten. Where do you put Champaign, Illinois,
2: I would say um, the drive itself not f- even just for so I live in I live, I live in Chicago. It's two hours, forty five minutes. Drive itself was, was not fun. I hate that. Like it was one of the most boring drives. And I drive to Iowa all the time for family reasons. So if I say a drive is boring, like you know, it's it's boring. And the drive to Champagne, um, yeah, I mean the town itself, fine. We didn't spend a ton of time exploring it. Chris can talk a little bit about some of the places he and Andy went, but um, we both talked about the stadium is actually pretty decent um nothing special for an old
1: for an old for an old stadium they've done a nice job renovating it out they
2: have it look, like it's in good shape they had a good crowd there too um i imagine if i was an illinois fan it would have been a fun atmosphere um they did have a lot of people like you know they had huge tailgating lots um and a lot a lot of fans out there too so i say good atmosphere um yeah i mean it was it was fine i didn't think there's anything special about it um to be honest with you but i don't know if chris feels any differently
1: no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rank it as one of my favorite destinations or anything. I will compliment uh, the uh, the folks at Riggs Brewing on the uh, southeast side uh, of town. We're not town, sponsored uh, by them,
0: but we would like to be.
1: Yes, Riggs Brewing. Your beer was delicious and you brought in fantastic food trucks. We're happy to keep plugging you despite not being from your town uh, because I, enjoy, I enjoyed that place very much, actually. Um But, yeah, no, as a whole, like, I mean, I'll probably go back. It's close enough to Cincinnati that I'll definitely make the road trip again. Um, But it wouldn't wouldn't make my list as, like, an automatic, you know, place to go. All right, so I've laid my marker down. I think Illinois wins the Big Ten West. Does anybody disagree with me?
0: What are the tiebreakers right now?
1: Um, well, Illinois and Purdue haven't played. See, so yeah, those two, those two teams only have one loss though, in the Big Ten. What? Yeah, so they will, they will have to play each other. But outside of that, there's no tiebreakers in play when it comes to those two. And Illinois, um, we
2: schedule-wise, Illinois has Michigan left outside the West, and I think maybe one other Big Ten East team. Um, I'm looking at Purdue's now because I know Purdue, I. Had picked them early season to finish kind of high in the Big Ten West because they had sort of a soft schedule. I think they're they've got some favorable um, crossover games. I'm pulling them up right now.
0: Well, I think I'll I'll start with a base prediction. My base prediction is that at the end of the year, Nebraska will finish lower than Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin because currently uh, they are ahead in the in the standings over those over those two over those three teams
1: it's a bold it's a bold take yeah
0: <laughs> i i would suspect at least at this moment from the teams that i have seen play i think that i thought that Purdue was in some sense better than Illinois because i thought when they played Minnesota they were a bit more injured and while Minnesota is arguably not a very good barometer i think minnesota right now functions as a middle of the pack big 10 west team i do not see minnesota going on uh, some magical title winning northwestern-esque thing so i might give it to the boilermakers but i do think that right now the teams that are tied for the lead in the Big Ten West, one of them will be your conference leader. And it will be the winner of the Illinois-Purdue game, which right now I'm slotting to be Purdue.
2: So Illinois got Nebraska, Michigan State, Purdue, Michigan, Northwestern. So their big games there were Purdue and Michigan. And then Purdue's got – Purdue's crossovers were Penn State, Maryland, and Indiana. They played – they lost to Penn State, beat Maryland. Um, Now they've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana. So I would say, yeah, if, if they lose to Illinois, and Illinois, even if Illinois loses to Michigan, they still have a tiebreaker over Purdue. So I'd say, yeah, that Purdue-Illinois game um, kind of looms large.
1: As
0: Just as we all thought at yeah, the beginning of the season. Truly. The, the the Purdue-Illinois showdown for the West.
1: I mean, I I know it was week one, but I still don't understand how Illinois lost to Indiana. I really don't.
0: They had yet to get their swagger. No one had tried to fight anyone in a the bathroom. These things take time. It takes reps.
1: It takes reps. It takes reps to, to build that up. Um, well, what do we think, Miss Minnesota, moving forward? I mean, I don't think they beat Penn State. Certainly, not when they're probably you know playing uh, Ethan first start. It's going to be on the road, night game, whiteout. That doesn't feel. Like a, a real likely, I mean, heck, you put Tanner in there. I, I don't feel like that's a that's a win for Minnesota. I think it's um, actually
0: less about who's playing quarterback and more about who's playing the wide receiver. To be blatantly, brutally honest, I don't think, I think there will be things for which Athan will be a clear upgrade over Tanner. Uh, his It is absolutely the case that Athan throws a better ball than Tanner does. Tanner is the six-year quarterback. He's seen more things. He makes more decisions, arguably, that should be better, certainly should be better than a quarterback, assuming Morgan is not playing, the quarterback making his first start ever. So in that sense, yeah, I somewhat doubt we're getting the Tom Brady-Drew Bledsoe experience here. What I do think, though, is far more important from the standpoint of Minnesota as a team is whether or not they can figure out a way. And some of this, frankly is going to have to be structural from an offensive coordinator standpoint to get more receivers open and to get them open quickly because this offensive line right now is not able to hold anybody off for any extended period of time. Bringing in a new quarterback, almost certainly you're going to have one read and just go. It's unlikely that they're going to run a lot of things for Athan for which he's going to want to go through multiples of his his progression, of multiple reads. So if you're already in the situation where it's like one read and go, might as well try and figure out if you can do other things that can improve the wide receivers. If the wide receivers can get open and not drop a ball in the end zone, I think it's going to be much closer. I am skeptical of that until proven otherwise.
1: I mean, Blake... Feels like to me, best outcome for the rest of the season is nine and three, and that would take some doing. Like, where do you, if you had to gut check yourself right now, where do you think Minnesota finishes uh, with the second half of the year?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think best case scenario, I mean if we're going to use streets beginning of season logic, best case scenario at this point is 10 and two, uh, it's not, not eliminating the possibility of winning Saturday. It's as unlikely as it may be.
1: Um, I, I mean, yeah, yes, technically, uh, though not mathematically likely that that is the best outcome that could happen.
0: Well, you know, when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, <laughs>
1: That actually got used in our section of the stadium by a gopher fan at one point. So in case you were wondering how Saturday went from no other context,
2: but I would, I would say though, after the Penn state game, I mean, it's probably just going to be a rock fight week in and week out unless as, as you know, street said, the wide receiver position takes a step forward. Things improve on offense. I mean, there's no one down that stretch. That's real intimidating. I think, what'll probably happen to is they'll drop a game. They shouldn't, um, you know, Nebraska doesn't look totally lost on offense. Um, you know, Iowa, we, got, we haven't beaten them in, in seven years. So God only knows even with their God awful offense, um, they could find a way to drop that one. So, um, it's tough to say right now, but I, I mean, at a minimum, you could say at the Penn state game, they should be in every game from there on out. So I would I think eight and four, nine and three, um, but, yeah, really need to see some positive supports on offense before we start predicting, you know, eight or nine wins after this.
1: You know, I can predict right now that Iowa could lose every game the rest of the year if they beat Minnesota. Kirk's response to why hasn't he fired Brian will be, but we beat Minnesota. Didn't you see when we beat Minnesota?
0: I can, it's why the I racism want... is okay. Oh,
1: God. It's so stupid. Like, please, can we just beat that horrible, horrible, horrible offense led by that horrible family? That would be nice.
0: My other prediction before we may learn a little bit about Penn State is that also, again, it's a prediction, so I suppose until proven otherwise, the quadrangle of hate games are going to suck from a neutral standpoint. They're not going to be fun to watch.
1: So you're saying not, not, no, no big, <laughs> no big noon kickoff is what you're saying.
0: Uh yeah is is that the is that the they're going to be whatever they're going to be shunted to whatever the most obnoxious time is nowadays.
2: Not not good football will be played in those uh, three games. So I can it pro- could be
0: it could be entertaining, but it will it will be entertaining in spite of the quality, not because of.
1: I hear that's what the Michigan State Wisconsin game was. <laughs> I've been led to believe I was too busy watching Tennessee Alabama which was a actually fantastic game um, to to you know be bothered but uh, that's that's what I've been led to believe happened in that other game so yeah I could I could definitely see that all right Blake tell us about Penn State what are we what are we looking at here? Um, well,
2: tell me if this sounds familiar. They've got a 6 year senior at quarterback that the fan base really wants to see benched because they think of him as a game manager, average quarterback at best, and doesn't have the skill set to take the offense to the next level. Is that is that ringing any bells? It I mean, it's it
0: sounds weird like you talk about Bryce Young that way. It do, it does year.
1: it does sound like you're you know not bothering to actually scout Penn State is what it sounds like. But okay, continue.
2: So our old friend Sean Clifford, you may remember him from what well, was three years ago, uh, the last time these two teams played. So quarterback at Penn State. Um, they he's really kind of struggled this year. Um I think his last game against Michigan, he was seven to nineteen for front twenty passing yards before he got knocked out of the game. Um, and you know, so fans are you know, the first lost season, so the season's already lost. So they want to turn it over to their true freshman. I don't know how to say his last name. True Aller, True Aller. I don't know which one it is. But, um, so yeah, things are going well for them offensively. Um, it honestly, very similar to, um, Minnesota's offense, not a great passing game. They do have some talent at wide receiver. I mean, they're, they're Penn State. They should, um, but not a lot of ex- explosiveness, and there's just not a lot of consistency in the passing game. Um, they do have a good running back, uh, Nick Singleton. He's a true freshman. I think he was a five-star coming into this year. He's averaging – seven yards per carry. Uh, he's, he's very good. He's, is very good. Um, he's got five touchdowns on the year. They do have another true freshman Catron Allen, not quite as good, but they'll split carries with him, um, with him in Singleton. And the offensive line has up until last week was playing pretty well. They kind of ran into a brick wall with Michigan and which is going to happen. Um, and there wasn't as much running room for Singleton or Allen last week, but we'll see how they fare against, uh, Minnesota's defense is Saturday and hopefully the um, run fits are markedly improved <laughs> compared to what they were against Illinois. Um, Cause I think that's to me, that's where the game's going to be won or lost is at the line of scrimmage. And if they can't stop Penn state's running game, it doesn't really matter if it's Clifford at, or Aller at quarterback. I think Penn state's going to want to run wild in this game on the ground and, and do what they want and pose their will against this Minnesota defense. So really hoping for an improved game from them. And then, Defensively for Penn State, um, really talented in the secondary. This might be the most talented secondary um, Minnesota's played up to this point. Um, Really aggressive in coverage. Um, You know, probably similar to what we saw from Illinois. A lot of man coverage, um, just not giving a lot of separation. Um, So that that kind of worries me, especially if you're going to have Ethan under center thrown into tight coverage. Um, I mean, we, you know, he threw two interceptions in less than ideal circumstances last week. I think um, hopefully better game plan, more preparation this week if he's starting, but that makes me nervous. Um, and then up front, uh, you know, it's it's a talented defensive front. It's one that got really pushed around by Michigan on their offensive line. I think they racked up something like 400 rushing yards last week, but um, again, Minnesota's offensive line is not Michigan's offensive line. So I think they're gonna have to work cut out for him there. Um, but are I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a tough matchup for, for Minnesota against that Penn state defense, just cause you know, they're going to be stacking the box, um, against the run to stop Mo Ibrahim and, um, their secondary can survive on an Island. They have, um, kind of paid for their aggressive coverage. Sometimes like it's kind of feast or famine a little bit, the build up some big plays here and there, but again, I don't know if, Minnesota has the guys at receiver to, to make those explosive plays and make them pay in man coverage. So um, I, to me, it's got all the makings of a rock fight. Um, I think people, a lot of people I seem to be expecting, at least on the Minnesota side, kind of a drubbing just because they see Penn state ranked number 16, but um, this is a team that's really struggled with the last two weeks on offense against Michigan and Northwestern the week before that. So um, not exactly firing on all cylinders. And, and I do think, Minnesota's defense is better than what they should against Illinois. I think, I mean, they just got out, outplayed, outcoached, outschemed. And I, I mean, that doesn't happen every week with with Joe Rossi and his defense. So I, I would imagine they're probably in better shape this week. But uh, yeah, this one has low scoring affair written all over it, in my opinion.
1: So, okay, I've got it. <clears throat> I've completely changed my mind. Minnesota wins. Got it. Figured it out. Thank you for that. Optimism restored.
2: Okay, happy to be of service.
0: <laughs> not something that is just said in an illinois bathroom anymore
1: optimism restored uh, all right well you want to I, know I something guess you should
0: be optimistic about
1: basketball the university of minnesota
0: got a recruit and i think i'm talking about it so that's a reason a
1: talented it. recruit very talented but I, it, is he from,
2: from minnesota though
0: he he is he is both not one of us and the most one of us I've ever seen. So the, please explain the recruiting question is Dennis Evans. Dennis Evans is a seven foot one center coming out of California, and Dennis Evans is already my favorite player on the University of Minnesota because Dennis Evans recruitment commitment video gave us the following facts about Dennis Evans. One, he is very good at blocking shots, and by very good at blocking shots, I mean he is unquestionably the best high school recruit in the country at blocking shots, and arguably, he's young, by the way, so he's young, which means he probably still has more growing to do in some aspect, but for his class, he might be the best shot blocker in that age class in the world who is not already professional. That's pretty good. Part of the problem that the University of Minnesota basketball team had last year, among several, they lost a lot of game, was that they didn't have any rim protection whatsoever. They had no true five. And while Dennis Evans comes in next year, Dennis Evans is a true classic rim-protecting five. At the college level, where you can hang out in the paint, very good. So that's That's one. Secondly, from an offensive game, has a has a passable jump shot. So you could see potentially him being able to step out in the future as something to develop and maybe hit a three occasionally. I'm not going to claim it's like Daniel Oturo level by any means uh, or a variety of the Maryland bigs over the years who've had that kind of stretch five capability. That's not where I expect Dennis Evans to play, but it does mean that he does potentially have a jumper. He has, at least in some highlight reels some vaguely Kevin McHale moves, one of us, yay. He is the highest rated recruit that Minnesota has in outstate in something like 28 years, which realistically means he's the highest rated recruit in a lot longer than that. He is also, and here's the second bit, in his recruitment video, we learned the following things about Dennis Evans from Dennis Evans, because this dude is dope. Number one, he really likes ants, as in Ant-Man the insect. And there is nothing that I think is more awesome than a person who would just absolutely tower over anyone being very interested in possibly the smallest thing that you could reasonably be interested in. So that's number one. Number two, his fashion idol is Tim Duncan. I don't know if our listeners have ever seen Tim Duncan's fashion choice. If you haven't, you should. But I'm going to turn it over to our resident big man, Chris. Tim Duncan, fashion idol for you or not?
1: If I recall correctly, uh, Tim Duncan's fashion could be charitably described as oatmeal.
0: Yeah, I I would describe Tim Duncan's fashion as comfort above all else.
1: I mean, in that regard, I can wholeheartedly embrace and endorse that stance. Comfort above all else is pretty much how I live my life. I took one of the the ZUBAs,
0: and I got on a wakeboard. I'm pretty sure I could sail across the Pacific Ocean.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, comfort above all else. I mean, that's why I wear ZUBAs. It's like getting to wear pajamas in public. So I can respect that. I think uh, I would hope that somebody at some point introduces him to Flex Taylor, because um, I would hope anybody who's that good at shop blocking could eventually get himself a spot in the league, and at that point, let's let's get Flex Taylor involved, because that's there's clearly better talent in the Twin Cities uh, than a Tim Duncan level. We are um, also
0: not sponsored by Flex Tayloring, though. Again, we oh please, happily, for the love of God, would like to be.
1: I I don't remember his name, but. Kind sir, if you listen to this podcast, I will sell my soul in exchange for one of your suits.
0: And keep in mind, this man does have the ability to create water from the sky, so that soul is worth some money.
1: I mean, you're going to have to use a lot of fabric. I'm a very tall man. I have a very large belly. But I will gladly, gladly uh, shill all the time on this podcast in exchange for a suit. Because Fleck is a well-dressed individual. I like the cut of his jib is what I'm saying. So The last thing um,
0: that we should also take from Dennis Evans, so that's sort of one of us, be, but I think is particularly important is how I would expect him to slot into what I imagine Ben Johnson's ideal offense looks like. And also, in some sense, ideal defense. Particularly at the college level. Because of the nature of the game, because of the defenses you can play, what constitutes a legal defense, what doesn't constitute a legal defense, uh, the rise of sort of no middle, pushing things to the baseline. Every defense, in the Big Ten especially, is so much better if there is someone who is just a dominant rim protector. And it's not in, like, a trite way. I mean, it's true, but it's also because the way the game structurally works now, if you have a dominant rim protector, you can be more aggressive, so much more aggressive on the wings. You can also funnel... Ball, ball handlers, you can funnel passes into places, especially at the college level, that college athletes are not very good at shooting from. The same thing doesn't really work quite as well in the professional game because NBA basketball players are hilariously good. But at the college level, that's not the case. Dennis Evans can more or less guard the entirety of the paint by himself. He is that tall. He's also got a seven foot seven wingspan. So, even like a longer wingspan than his height. He's already massive. That means for many things, he can just put a hand up and not be goaltending. This is a huge advantage to have. It's also a huge advantage to have if you are Ben Johnson, because it means with the other talent that Ben Johnson has brought in, and his recruiting has been quite excellent so far. It allows you to be a little bit more up-tempo, perhaps, if that's what Ben Johnson wants, knowing that you might be okay. Like, you can take some more risks on the defensive end in a way that they have not been able to do and, frankly, don't have the capability of doing on this year's team. But that is something that I am so excited for because in terms of, like, classic one of us, that is Michael Thompson and Kevin McHale. That's what they gave you. That is what Joel Presbilla gave you. The great centers of Minnesota are these just massive shot blocking dynamos and dennis evans absolutely looks like that i hope he immediately gets a name image and likeness from some ant research facility and from tim duncan's taylor
1: (laughs) Uh, well in case you couldn't tell by the level of excitement i had around flex taylor football is doing its thing. (laughs) I I have a hard time getting super amped about it compared to talking about fashion, apparently. But we still have to do predictions. That's my segue to predictions. We still need to do them. The game is still happening. We will all still be very pleased uh, if and when the Gophers win. I should say when, because Blake's preview obviously convinced me that that was what was going to happen, despite the prediction that's coming next. Uh, So... What are your predictions? Uh, we're gonna go back to streets for his random, his random, you know, pick of a stat.
0: Over under three drops by the wide receivers, and unfortunately, I'm taking the over.
1: Well, that doesn't sound promising. Uh, Blake, what do you got for us?
2: I've got Penn State coming out victorious on this one, 19-10. How they get to 19? Don't ask me. It just seems like a Good, ugly number, because I think it's going to be a relatively ugly game.
1: I mean, that seems fair. I have chosen to go with uh, Um, 21-10. I mean, I would love to say that I have actual faith that Minnesota will win, but they have given me no reason to actually believe that yet. So surprise me. Prove me wrong. I will be happy to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot this would be a great time for that to happen. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's all hope that we're wrong. That would be wonderful. Uh, but in the meantime, friends, uh, thank you for listening to the sky you podcast go gophers sky ma row the boat.